we are in Acts chapter 27, and we're going to see the the title of this is Surviving the Storms of Life. I think uh, we all have been there. If we aren't, we will be. Uh, Pastor Donnie, my pastor for many years, used to say you're either in the middle of a storm, coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go back into a storm. You know, storms are not unusual in our life. Sometimes they come in seasons. And we and sometimes there are bigger storms than others. And we wonder, okay, God, where are you in the midst of the storm? And in chapter 27 of Acts, we're going to see Paul is in the middle of a physical storm. And he ha- we're going to see some things that he does, how we re- he responds to this, this storm, and we're going to take from that how we can survive those storms of life. Because in the middle of those storms and how we react in the middle of those storms quite often can, can either make or break you. You can either come out of it with a spirit of resolve that says, I've gone through this and it's made me stronger. Or some people may come out of it broken because they didn't respond correctly to the storm. And so God is with us in the middle of of every storm that we go through. So let's turn to Acts chapter 27. And we're going to start out by reading the first five verses. And when it was decided that we, so this is Luke has joined him once again. This is going to be an eyewitness account. When we have decided, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in an (laughs) Adoramidian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. And from there we put out to sea and we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed in Myra in Lycia. Paul had been promised he would go to Rome. The Holy Spirit had promised him The Lord stood by his side in a vision one night and said, you will go to Rome. He sat for two years in a prison, as a prisoner in Caesarea. He's been heard by two governors and one king. And all of them have said, you know, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar... He would have been set free. We don't find any reason to charge him. But God had told him, you're going to go to Rome. Paul was in the very center 
of God's will. And I want you to hold on to that because you're going to see what he's going to go through here. And, and Paul's life has not been easy. There's a place in, where he, he starts listing out all the things that, that he's gone through. He's been stoned. He's been beaten. He's been put in prison. He's been taken out of prison. And we're going we're gonna to see him in this particular trip in the middle of a storm that's not his fault at all. Matter of fact, it's somebody else's fault. But God has been with him each step of the way, and he is in the very center of God's will. He's going to the place that God told him that he was going to go and he was going to preach. Now, the time of year tells us that it was the feast is over, so this is September to October, sometime in that territory. And the Mediterranean Sea is not known for being very gracious that time of year. Matter of fact, the sailors, remember, we're not talking about huge ships like we see today, the big cruise liners. We're talking about small ships. And so one of the things that they did is they kept to the coastline because it was safer than getting out in the center of the Mediterranean Sea. And so Paul has been given over to, to this um, to the centurion by the name of Julius. And they arrange for him to go, and, and Julius has several other prisoners with him. We're going to see that there's a group of soldiers, there's a group of prisoners. But they didn't have a way to say, okay, we're going to go down to the Greyhound station and get tickets for everyone. They, they went down to find a ship that was going in the direction they needed to go. So they're going to go to Italy and they decide they're going to go by ship because it's easier to contain somebody on a ship, isn't it? You know, where do you go? You know, it's not like taking them overland, which they could have went way up and around. So they take them by ship. And they're going to start out at, uh, where's my, there it is. They're going to start down here at Caesarea. And their first jump is 75 miles up here in Phoenicia, what's called Phoenicia, where Sidon is today. T today, it's pretty popular uh, news today because Sidon is still there today. It's in the country of Lebanon. You've, you've probably read a little bit about Lebanon lately with what's going on with Israel. A little group called Hezbollah now is part of Lebanon and they've been firing missiles and shooting drone or taking drones out after our military. And so we did a little payback. That's Sidon, 75 miles. And in the matter of a few days, Paul has done something that, that most of us would have a hard time doing. Paul is winning friends and influencing people. He has Julius. Now, Julius is a centurion. His job is to make sure Paul makes it to Rome. And he has a group of prisoners with him. Paul's not the only one he has to be concerned with. And, and so he, he's given Paul, we don't know how many days before they left, but not very long, and it's only a one-day sailing up the 75 miles to get to Sidon. And in that time, he has convinced Julius, I've got friends in Sidon, I want to go visit. And Julian, Julius says, Okay, 
Now remember, what, what happens if a Roman soldier loses a prisoner? It's off with your head. It's death. But Paul has said, listen, I've got friends there that I want to go visit. And he says, sure. Now, I don't know if I was transporting a prisoner that I would say, yeah, go ahead. Go have lunch with your friends. You know, spend a couple days while they're unloading the ship here and getting it ready to go back out, loading stuff on. But Julius did. And those friends are friends that Paul has made over many years. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we see the start of the church in Sidon. Sidon is in an area called Phoenicia at the time. And in Acts chapter 11, it says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking to the speaking the word to no one except for the Jews alone. When they first left the church in Jerusalem because Stephen was stoned, what was Paul doing at Stephen's stoning? Oh, he was standing there holding all the Pharisees' robes. But they went out and they went to Phoenicia. And then when Paul ends his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 15, it says, therefore being sent on their way by the church, they'd come back to Antioch. They were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conver conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. There was a church that was already established in Sidon. And Paul, stops on, Paul and Barnabas stop on their way down to Jerusalem. And they, they say, hey, listen, we, we need to tell you because... What did they, when they started the church, where did they go to? They went to the other Jews. And Paul says, hey, I got news for you. Gentiles are getting saved. And these guys go, oh, oh, oh. Gentiles? Yeah, Gentiles are getting saved. You guys need to loosen up a little bit. You need to take the gospel not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Because they now got the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit got a hold of the Gentiles. Kind of excited that church a little bit. And so Paul says, I've got friends inside and let's stop. And Julius just, yeah, okay. I've, I've learned, have you ever met somebody like that? You meet them and in just a short period of time they go, yeah, sure. You, you know, it's like you've known each other forever. I think that's the relationship that Paul and Julius have. Because he's willing to put his life in Paul's hands. Because Paul could have just said, yeah, he, he wasn't. Paul was not one of those guys that was afraid to take off when he needed to. Remember, there's a couple times he got, one time he got let out of a basket down the wall. Another time he snuck out in the middle of the night. But Paul also knew that Julius was his ticket to where? Rome. He says, this guy, I got an all-expense-paid, all-exclusive cruise to, to Rome. And Julius is my partner. So, so he knew, for whatever reason, Julius knew that Paul was going to be okay. 
And, and so let's go on with our story. Let's look at, at verses uh, 6 to 13. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us aboard it. And when we had sailed slowly for a good many days, with difficulty had arrived off of Sindus. Since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Salomone. With difficult sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which the city of Lycia. And when the considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest and spend some time there. And when the moderate south wind came up, Supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close in shore. Why did they change ships? Well, the Adamantian ship is north. It's going to go north up to Turkey, up around the area that we would know as Troas, where Paul had been. It's turning north, going up. They want to go to Italy, which is down into the Mediterranean. So they decide to get on a ship from Alexandria. Now, Alexandria was known as the breadbasket of the world. They grew wheat there, Alexandria, Egypt. They had come straight north from, the, from Alexandria, had landed, probably offloaded some of their wheat, we don't know, but they've taken on a number of passengers. Now this boat, ship, is, a, is approximately 150 feet long, 50 feet wide, and 40 feet deep, and it is filled with Alexandrian grain headed for Italy. And they meet there at Myra, it says they, meet, they, they came to this other ship, and it later will tell us that there's 273 people on board this ship. Now, I want you to think about that. That's a lot of people. And the bottom is full of what? Grain. So where do they stay? On deck. Absolutely. Now, that play is going to play into what we're going to hear. And this ship, is, as you look at it, it's... Uh, pretty rudimentary. It has one big sail and it has a little foresail up front and so it's going to be driven whichever way the wind pushes it and it has two little oars out the back 
Instead of having a rudder, it has two little oars that they could use to do a little bit of tacking with. But mostly it is driven by the wind. And it says they're pretty smart. They stay in close. They're, they're up above Cyprus. They're going to come down and they're going to stay close to Crete. It says what? It says, oh, with difficulty sailing. They're, look at how, as, as they're going, uh, it's difficult. It took good many days as they slowly plod along. And difficulty sailing. And then they come to a place called Fair Havens. That's a pretty nice name, isn't it? I would go visit Fair Havens. But it says what? It was not suitable for wintering. Now it's a port. And next to the port of Fair Havens is another little city. But they said it was not suitable for wintering. Who was it not suitable for? The ship was fine. It was a port city. But it was small. You can go visit Fair Havens today and see the ruins there. And there's hardly anything there. It was never very big. Who was it not suitable for wintering for? The sailors and the soldiers. Do you want to spend all winter in Waterloo? Some of you have been there. That's the idea here. There's not much there to do. And of course, we, their winters are probably not too much unlike our winters. Lots of rain, right? Lots of wind. So we want to sit indoors all day. You know, we can, you can play a lot of cards in a winter time, can't you? <laughs> you know, they, it was not suitable for wintering. And Paul warns them. He said, listen, guys. Did you catch me? He said, listen. Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but to also our lives. Now, Paul is getting this from the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's telling Paul, we really don't want to sail. But Paul also has experience. Remember in 2 Corinthians, remember I told you that, that long list that Paul gives out of everything he's been through? In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, he gives this list. And one of the things he says is, three times I have, was beaten by rods, once I was stoned. Three times, three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night, a night and a day I spent in the deep. I was adrift, hoping for life. So Paul knows a little bit about shipwrecks. Before he ever gets to this one, he's already been shipwrecked three times. He said, guys, the Holy Spirit tells me, don't go. My experience tells me, don't go. But what happens? The majority decides they want to go. 273 people on board this ship. And they said, nah, we want to go up to Phoenix. It's not that far. Phoenix is only about 80 miles up the coastline, still in Crete, but it's a big port city. It's a place that has lots to do during the wintertime. So we want to go to Phoenix. Folks, I want to tell you, the majority 
is not always right. And, and a matter of fact, if they're unbelievers, the likelihood is that they're wrong. Why? Number one, they don't have the Word of God. They don't have the Holy Spirit telling them what's okay. They don't have the Bible to, to look at and say, hey. But Paul didn't have a choice. He's a prisoner. He had to go. And we're going to see in just a minute, he ends up in the midst of this storm. Sometimes, sometimes we are in a storm because of somebody else's choice. Just because you're in the middle of a storm doesn't mean you've done something wrong. Doesn't mean that God is judging you. Sometimes we're in a storm because of a choice that somebody else makes. And in this case, it was the majority and they were wrong. But the captain and Julius... They all like, oh, man, we want to get up to Phoenix where, you know, they got some bars up there and they got some other things up there we can hang out. You know, these are, these are not good Christian folk. They're sailors. They're used to the port cities. They're soldiers. And they, they said, no, nah, we don't want to hang out here in Waterloo. We want to be in Phoenix. And Paul has to go along for the ride. And I, I, there's a couple things I want you to, to remember when you get caught up in somebody else's storm. Number one, don't take it personally. It's their storm. You're just in the middle of it. And if we, if we take it personally and we go, oh, wow, I'm in the middle of this storm. God, what are you doing? And God says, oh, it's not your storm. Remember Jonah? He's running from God and he goes down and jumps on the ship and they get out and, it's, it's, and, and every, all, the soul, all the sailors are saying, you know, what's going on? And, and he says, it's me. It was Jonah's storm, and everybody else was caught in it. All the sailors, all the, the business owners that had put stuff on that ship, they threw it all off trying to save Jonah. Don't take it personally. If it's somebody else's storm, just remember, you're caught in their storm. Secondly, Remember who the master of the sea is. The master of the sea is Jesus. You see, several times when the disciples got caught out in a storm, one time Jesus was asleep in the boat. You ever felt that way? God, wake up! Isn't that what they said? God, wake up! We're going to drown. He says, oh, you have little faith. You think I'm going to go down with the ship? And another time he came walking, they were alone in the ship paddling or rowing across and, and Jesus comes walking on the water. He's the master of the sea. And in one case, he just stood up and he said what? 
Peace be still. He calmed the storm. But what did he do when he came walking on the sea? What did he call for Peter? Or he, Actually, he called all of the disciples. Peter said, hey, if it's you, let me walk on the water. The storm is still raging. And he said one word. Come. He said that to all 12. Only Peter stepped out of the boat. The storm was still raging when Peter walked on the water because what did it say? He looked and he saw the waves and he became scared and he reached out and he took Jesus' hands. Then what did Peter do? He walked back to the boat with Jesus in the storm. It wasn't until Jesus got back in the boat that he said, peace be still. Sometimes God calms the storm for you. Sometimes he takes your hands and he calms you in the middle of the storm. Don't forget that. You, you may say, God, please stop the storm. Stop the storm. He says, no, just take my hand. Quit looking at what's around you and walk on the water. Peter was the only one that had on his resume, water walker. You may, God may be wanting to write on your resume, storm chaser. Right? You ever watch those movies where they chase the twins? Well, not me. But God will say, hey, just take my hand. We'll walk on water together. The third thing I want you to take away from this is pray for the person whose storm you're in. Because they're the key. The God is not going to stop their storm until he's accomplished whatever he's wanted in their life. Back to the story of Jonah. What did, what did they have to do? Jonah was running from God. What did Jonah have to do? He had to say, throw me in the sea because I am out of God's will. And God did what? He sent a great fish to swallow him. And then he, that great fish was his transport back to shore so he could spit him out so he could go to Nineveh. He had to get back in God's will. You see, sometimes we need to pray for the people who are in that storm so that they can, they can get their lives right with God, if it's God's storm that he's put in their life to change the direction of their ship. You know, Jesus take the wheel. Well, Jesus should have had the wheel in the first place. You know, Jesus is not my co-pilot, and I'm not the navigator. I'm in the back seat saying, you take the whole thing. Take me exactly where you need me to be. Well, let's go on and we're going to see what happens when the majority wins. Acts chapter 27, verses 14 through 28. But before very long, the rush down from the land of violent wind called the Uroquilo. And when the, we would call it in, for us, it would be a northeastern a nor'eastern that runs through, you ever watch The Perfect Storm? 
It's a nor'eastern that comes out of the north and rushes down into the Mediterranean Sea. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, it gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Remember, there's not a whole lot that's going to keep this ship uh, going in a straight line. And running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And after we had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables to undergird the ship, fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of sites of Cistrus. And they let down the sea anchor and in that way let themselves be driven along. And the next day as they were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men... You ought to have allowed, you ought to have followed my advice. I told you so. And men, you ought to have followed my advice and have not set sail from Crete, incurring this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you, keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I've served stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. But when the 14th night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land, and they took soundings, and they found it to be 120 feet deep. And a little farther on, they took soundings and found it to be 90 feet deep. And fearing that they might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay some anchors from the bow... Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away until the day was about to be dawn. And Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, 
for this is your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took the bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons, and when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. When we get in a storm, whether it's ours or somebody else's, we can do one of two things. You can either be a complainer or an encourager. A complainer or an encourager. You know, there was a lot of complaining going on. Notice what they had to do. 14 days they're in this. They, they have tried everything they know as sailors. First they throw out a sea anchor. It's, it's, a, it's a cloth that goes in the water and it's used to drive the ship along and keep it, its nose going into the waves. And when that doesn't work, they throw out anchors because they're afraid they're going to hit land. The, the water's getting shallower. They're probably hearing the, the break. And remember, it's, they're, they're having a hard time telling night from day. But Paul comes up and he, he says, listen, guys, hold on. Matter of fact, it gets so bad, what are they? it says they... They throw off the tackle of the ship. In other words, where, where are they all sleeping? On deck. They're throwing their beds out. They're throwing their chairs. They're, it's terrible. I mean, it's so rough. Anybody, I'm, now, I'm not a seagoing person. <laughs> you guys have a boat, don't you? You know, and you get out there. The couple of times I've been out in open water, I feed the fish. You know why they didn't eat for 14 days? If you don't have anything in your stomach, you can't feed the fish. They're in sad shape. I mean, they're, they're, I imagine it's, it's not only does it smell bad, but they're having a rough time. They're complaining. They're worried. It says gradually they're losing hope. Oh, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, etc. For those Yeehaw fans, you'll recognize that. They're in sad shape. But Paul comes along, and Paul says, hey, wait a second. Wait a second, guys. God sent me a vision. And he says, you're all going to be saved. But he does something that's kind of scary. The sailors are going to try to sneak off. Now, they have... They have a, a boat that's used to get them from, from the ship to shore whenever they get to a harbor because most harbors are not deep enough where you just run your ship up in. So if they have to stop someplace, they will run those back and forth. And so some of the sailors are like going, well, you know, we're close, we're close to land. We can hear it. We're going to take our chances. And Paul says, if you guys let them off this ship, it's, God's plan doesn't work. So they cut the ropes and let the boat go. 
That's, that's really encouraging, isn't it? Our one lifeboat's gone. But Paul says, listen, this is not your plan, this is God's plan. When God has a plan, you've got to trust it. Cut the ropes. Julius trusts him, cuts the ropes. Let's the boat go. And Paul, notice what he says, verse 22. He says, and I urge you to keep up your courage. There will be no loss of life, of life among you, only the ship. Verse 31, notice what he says. Paul said to the centurion, unless these men remain in the ships, you yourselves cannot be saved. He says, listen, you need to listen to what God is saying. Sometimes the most attentive people get, unsaved people get, is when they're in the middle of a storm. They finally go, you know what? Nothing I've done has worked. Maybe I need to listen to what God is saying. That's the time to engage people and say, listen, I, I know you're in the midst of this and it's terrible. Let me show you from God's word what it says. In verse 33... What does he say? He says, uh, he says, today is the 14th day. Or he says, Paul was encouraging them all to take food. Saying today is the 14th day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating. Verse 34, therefore I encourage you to take some food for your preservation. Have you ever tried to do a lot of physical activity when you haven't eaten for two weeks? Not much energy, right? You don't fit. Oh, yeah, I, I can remember there's been a few times when I've been in the hospital and, you know, you haven't eaten for days. And, and then they say, oh, we're going to go walk around the, the hospital, see how you're doing. You know, once around the, once around the, the nurse's station and back is about all you get, right? They're going to have to swim to shore in a storm. He says, you guys need to eat. You need to recharge your batteries, and then notice in verse 36, it says, And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves took food. It's a lot of people, 700, or 273 people, and they're all encouraged. You see, having a positive attitude, being an encourager, spreads. But so does complaining. You ever notice that? What happened to the children of Israel? Grumble, grumble, grumble. God says, I don't put up with grumbling. And, and he, would judge, he would send a judgment to them until they stopped. So you can either be an complainer or an encourager. Either one spreads. And if you're the encourager, you can come along and say, it's, come on, let's all just have something to eat. Let's settle down here and, and let's get this done. Well, I want to finish this off because this is, uh, this, is one of those, this is one of those movies where you've been waiting for, right? You've been watching it for two hours. And you're like, when, when's this really good scene coming? In this movie, I've heard this is really a good, and, and you know, the music begins to build. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, the music's building. And we come to verse 39. And when the day had come, they did, could not recognize land, but they observed a bay with a beach 
and they resolved to drive the ship into it if they could. Now, remember what's happened. They have no more cargo left. They have nothing to sell when they get wherever they're going. They've thrown everything that they didn't absolutely need overboard. They really don't have anything left except for the boat. And they said, you know what? We just need to get to shore. It says that when day came, they could not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with the beach, and they resolved to drive the ship into it if they could. Casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind, and they were headed for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas came together, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, you want to make good friends, don't you? Right? But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded those who could swim could jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest would follow, some on planks and other on various things from the ship. And, it would, and so it happened that they were all, all, all brought safely to land. When God's plan is in place, he loses no one. Man, the storm's raging. We've got a plan. We're going to run right in. What they couldn't see was the rocks right underneath the sea. They didn't know where they were. They could, the possibility was that they were on the northern tip of Africa. The other possibility was that they were going to head into Malta, which is where they're going to end up. The soldiers are worried. What happens if they escape? Off with their head. Better kill the prisoners and let them escape. When people around you lose their heads, keep yours. In the midst of the storm, you need to be the voice of reason. Paul's already told them, hey, don't let the sailors jump ship. We're going to need them. We're going to need them to run the boat in to the bay. Don't let the prisoner, don't let the soldiers kill the prisoners. Because I'm one. So don't let them do that. Everybody's going to be safe. Trust in God's plan. I told you, God said he won't lose one of us. And he didn't. You see, it's easy to get focused on what's happening. Oh man, we hit a reef. The back end's breaking up. Everything's, this is not going right. And Paul said, if you can swim, start swimming. You've got a good stomach full of food. You've got energy with you now. If you can swim, swim. If you can't, 
grab a plank. Because in a, in a few minutes, this whole boat is going to be planks. Grab a plank. And God took all of everyone in. When we were singing the song that names all the different names of Jesus, there are times in our lives when we need to pray that. As we were singing, I was praying through those names. I was praying for people who are in the midst of turmoil that he would be the Prince of Peace. I was praying for people who are wondering what they're going to do in their finances, wondering what they're going to do in their job, that he would be the wonderful counselor. I was praying for people who do not have Jesus as their Savior, that he would be the Savior, the Son of God. I was praying for taking through those names and just praying through those names for you. And we can do the same thing. You see, when the world around you is falling apart, Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. If you feel like your world is falling apart, He's got a hold of you. If He can hold this world in perfect synchronicity, so that the moon goes down over here and the sun comes up over there so that we are perfectly safe in this world that's so intricate. He can hold on to your life and hold your life together. When you're ready to say, I'm done in your marriage, he can hold it together. When you're ready to say, I'm finished with the church. I'm done with God. He can hold that together. If you're struggling in a world that is raging around you. You know, we're, we're right now, you know, you turn on the television and you see what happened in Maine this last week. You see... You see these things that happen around us. You see what's happening in Israel. You see what's happening in the Ukraine. And you look around you and you say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But when the world rages around you, what do you need? You need a peace, peacemaker. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born unto us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. Say it. Prince of Peace. You see, we can pray these prayers. These are prayers that God gives us in his word. God, my world's out of control. I need the Prince of Peace. And when the world is full of darkness, I've never shared this to a congregation before, but there was a time in my life as a police officer where one day I took my Glock pistol and I put it in my mouth. Darkest day of my life. 
my life was in tatters. Everything that I thought that I had built had dissolved. Darkest day of my life. And a song came to my mind. A song that God had given me many years ago. It was called The Lighthouse. And as I thought of that, I said, God, you have more for me to do. And all I saw at the end of the darkness was one little point of light. And then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. When we think the darkest hour has come, when it is in the middle of your midnight, you see no hope. I want you to remember that Jesus is the light. And you may be so far in your darkness that all you can see is the pinpoint. Jesus is there. He is the light of life. And if you'll make one step towards that light, it will flood your world. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. Whatever storm you're in, God has a verse for you. God has a name for you. He's not going to leave you in the middle of that storm. He'll either calm the storm or he'll calm his child. You just have to trust in his plan.